We are looking at the values of the church here specific to the sanctuary, things that we want to undergird the culture of this church. It's who we want to be. We want to be a pray first church. We want to be a giving church. We want to be a apostolic spirit led church. Things of that nature are some of the values. Today we're going to look at one vitally, vitally important one. And we're going to look at this, the sanctuary. We want to be a disciple, discipling. How did we word that? Discipleship or discipling church, something of that nature. I'm the one teaching. I don't even know what it says, but it's discipleship. We want to be a discipleship church. Um, and so this lesson today is going to, I may have to have my own altar call when it's done because it's one of those things I'm going to teach. I'm not always the greatest at, but it's so, so, so important. So let's, let's start here, and it's going to be a little bumpy for a little bit um, because of just the nature of this, of what I'm going to say, and we're going to have to think about this as far as what type of a church we have and the culture of this church. But let me, let me say it like this. What, what is the church here for? I, and I've said it before from here, the, this pulpit, I, I think the church needs to be here the same as the Bible says what Jesus came. Why did Jesus came? Why did Jesus come? To seek and save the lost. That's what the scripture tells us. I think that's what we need to do as this church. We can have wonderful programs. We can have lights, cameras, action. We can have all that wonderful stuff. But if we don't have, if we're not seeking and saving the lost, I don't know. It's too expensive of a place to run. It's, it will do something else. We'll just, um, so I think that's a, it's vitally important that we look at it and come from this angle. If, if that is the goal we must, we have to think the right thoughts about that, of how we do things. God provided leadership for the church. The Bible says he gave some apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, saints, uh, different things throughout the word of God. It talks about that he has given to the church. However, ministry, if we say it like this, ministry is shared by everyone. And I know we, we kind of split hair sometimes in, in, in our language. We, we use it in different things. But we'll say something like, would all, the, would all the ministers stand or would all the ministers come up together and pray? And what we're talking about, we're, when we say something like that, we're meaning uh, specifically licensed ministers or, or however you want to term that. But truthfully, if someone in this church says, would all the ministers stand, I wish the whole church would stand up. Well, why am I saying that? Because everybody's called to minister. Everybody, Matthew 28, 19, you know it very well. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Different translation of verse 19, that first part, go ye therefore, it simply says, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. That's what the Great Commission is about. We are to go and make disciples. So one, again, of the core values of this church is discipleship. The commission is given to every believer. This is not just given to a select few. Jesus was, as his ascension, he said, go make disciples. That's what he told us to do. That's what he told her. So if you go to the book of Acts, persecution was happening in the early church. And Acts 8, 4 tells us, therefore they, who are they? Everybody, the church, they went, they were scattered abroad and went everywhere. What'd they do when they were scattered abroad? Well, they hid out in caves. They were terrified. No, they went everywhere they went. They were preaching. 
They were making disciples. They were spreading the gospel. That's what they were doing. And this is not talking about Peter, James, and John. It was talking about them. It was talking about every person who had been saved. They were persecuted. They were scattered abroad. So ministry is done by the whole church. Most ministry in the book of Acts was done outside of the walls of the church. Okay? I, I, listen to this statement and think this through with me. A local congregation grows proportionately to the percentage of ministry that is done by the saints beyond the walls of the building. So we want to, you know, again, I, you know me, I say something about growing the church. I, I don't care what church we grow. We need to grow the kingdom. I don't care where they go to church. People need saved. It's going to, uh, it's going to automatically happen that as we grow, that this church will grow because it's who we're, who we're connecting with. But I, that's not our goal is to see how big a church we can get. And, and that's fine if it does, and we're doing that. But it's more about the focus is because it means people are being saved is what we want and so what we do outside of these walls is, how, is, is more important many times than what we do inside these walls. Every believer in the New Testament church, the book, they did not see themselves as people who went to church. What do you guys do on Sunday? Well, we go to church. What else you do? Well, I have a job. I have a career. They did not see themselves as that way. They did not say, well, we, we are people who go to church. The believers believed they were the church. And so when they went out, they went and the church went everywhere. That's what they believed and that's what they did. They preached, they ministered. Acts 2.47 says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church every Sunday, every Wednesday, daily such as should be saved. They weren't having church every day in, as in a church like we would do, be doing like this. They were ministering. The church went out. So what happens Monday through Saturday is probably more important than what happens in here on Sunday. Is this important? Absolutely, we'll get to that. But the point is, if we're just, if the choirs just keep singing to the saints, that's good and we need revived and we'll talk about that. But the thing is, at some point, we have to shift our focus. This, this is not about me anymore. I have, uh, please forgive what I'm gonna say, I've had enough church. I've had, since I could, I don't, I'd have to ask mom when she first brought me to church. I'm going to see it's probably four days out of the hospital. We just went to church. That's what we did. Uh, we were always in church. So from little on up, I was in church. So that's all I've, so I've had enough teaching and preaching and been enough services and moves of God. If I don't make it to heaven, I'm just telling you, if I, if, and again, this is getting ridiculous, but if I could never go back to church again, I still have no excuse for not being saved. I know exactly how to live for Jesus. I have, I've had that all in. So again, is this important? Yes. I'm glad you're here because I don't, during 2020, when I was speaking to a camera, that was not fun. So I'm very glad you're here. But we're called more than just to be here. We're called to go make disciples. In Acts 1, the vision of the church was, was bright. It was compelling. It was exciting. It was captivating. But the only way it would work for the people to follow Jesus 
is to obey his last command of go make disciples. That, you know, and I've seen this preached before, and I'm going to get ahead of myself, and we'll be all over the page a little bit. I think it was Brother Raymond Woodward one time at a, at a conference he spoke, and he had three chairs sitting on the platform. He said, everything is one generation from extinction. You thought about that? If we do not, and we're, let's say we're in the first chair, if we don't tell our kids a story, a tradition, whatever, their kids will never do it. They know nothing about it. One generation. What have we not, put, what have we not given to the next generation? Then we're going to lose it. That's how this works. You have to perpetuate. This is why discipleship is so important. Jesus, again, his last words, go make disciples. He never said build buildings. He never said build programs. He never said build congregations. He said make disciples. Let me ask you all together in here. Are you a Christian? Hope you are. So then my next question is, are you a disciple? Being a Christian speaks generally of what Jesus did on the cross for us. He saved us, and we want to be Christ-like, and that's so vitally important. But being a disciple is more about how we respond to what he did on the cross for us. Maybe the real question could be like this. Does my lifestyle as a Christian qualify me to be a disciple? Do people call me a Christian? Wonderful, and that's important. But do they call you a disciple? That's a little bit different question, and that's a little bit different statement. What if we thought about being a disciple every day? What if we thought about making disciples every day? So what's the culture of disciple-making, and what if it was woven into the very culture of this church? Every activity. We have get-togethers. Why are we there? Well, we're there to have fun, fellowship, and that's all important. But what if our culture was we're there to make disciples? Well, what's that mean? We're, we're helping them. One, we're, we're, we're encouraging one another, but we're lifting them up to where we are. We're helping people grow. We're, we're discipling them. You have to understand, this is not a social gospel. Some people appease themselves by feeding the hungry. And giving away clothes and doing, and then again, everybody's looking at me like, what in the world? Jesus said that. You've done this unto the least of these, you've done this unto me, and that's all vitally important. And, and, and again, we're, we want to do that. We want to we help the poor. We want to do what the Word of God says. But it's a means to an end because ultimately them having clothes on their body does not save their soul. But if their belly's hungry, they're not going to listen to the gospel very well. But if you feed them and then tell them about Jesus, it's a means to an end. It's to get everybody to Jesus. Why do I counsel sometimes? And I've kind of laid that to the side. But why would I counsel people? My desire was to link everybody to Jesus because he's ultimately the answer. People would come here and they'd come to the church and, you know, some counseling centers you go to and you work at, you can't talk about God unless the, unless the, unless the client brings up God or something. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I counseled in the church and so if they came in here, it was free game. Because I'm not counseling people without Jesus. That's the main thing in there is what so many times people are missing. They need Jesus is what they need. 
And so I would help them through that, but what, that's, it's a means to an end. Connect people to Jesus. Get them pointed in the right direction. The main point of being a disciple is not to become a church member, but to disciple someone else. Jesus did not come to earth to feed and clothe the world. He did that, but that is not his primary purpose. He came to seek and save the lost. Matthew 9, 2 says, And behold, they brought to him a sick man, a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. Preached about this last week. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Here's a million dollars. Said unto the sick of the palsy, I hope we have a warm meal. He said to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven you. That was the most important. Well, the man couldn't walk. He was paralyzed. Absolutely. But the most important Jesus, the most important thing Jesus did to them, did to that man was forgave his sins. Did he not say it's better that you go to get to heaven blind and lame and halt than go, in, than go into the lake of fire fully with all, everything attached? He said, it's better that, he said, so it's not about, yes, he can heal, yes, he can deliver, and thank God he does all that, but ladies and gentlemen, that's not what we're aiming for. We're aiming to seek and save the lost. And to make disciples takes making relationships with people we want to see saved. The gospel cannot be shipped to people like Amazon gifts. <laughs> it takes face-to-face. We have to teach, we have to preach. John 15, 16, you know this verse, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth, that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. God has called us. We are to live our lives intentionally. We are called to go. The first century disciples, again, if we're going to mimic ourselves off of them, and we should we, in the Word of God, it did, they did not live their lives intentionally one day a week while they were on their way to prayer, or on their way to prayer, or on their way to church. They, they lived their lives intentionally every single day. They didn't have one central address where they did ministry. They didn't have just one location where that's they did. They did ministry, and many times the Bible says from house to house. Wherever they went, wherever they could. I love this statement. It just rattles me to the core, though. Someone once said, I go to the grocery store to meet people for Jesus, and while I'm there, I may get a few groceries. What a different mindset. I go to the restaurant seeing who needs Jesus. While I'm there, I may grab a hamburger and fries. I go to the car to get my, the garage, whatever they're called. What are those things called where they fix your car? Anyway, that's where it is. I go there to see who needs Jesus. While I'm there, I may get the car fixed. What a different thought. What a different mindset. What a different culture would happen to us when everything is intentional, where we're just constantly looking who needs Jesus. Who can I help? Who can I minister to? Who can I disciple? Once we make the great commitment or we make the commitment to follow the great commission, we're never just going to randomly go anywhere again. Because the Bible says in Psalm 37, 23, the steps, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Proverbs also tell us, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean on in thine own understanding and in all thy ways acknowledge him. He shall what? Direct your paths. 
will be led by the Spirit. Here's what we know. God loves lost people. And he wants to reach them with his saving grace. And he deliberately planned for us to help him do that. I I love this, you know, and it's just, uh, I shouldn't say stuff like this, but I do. I love when people just say, we ask them, you're visiting the sanctuary. How did you find us? Oh, we were just driving past. We drive past here all the time. We decided, you know what? Let's just stop by and see. That looks like a nice church. We're so glad you're here. Oh, thank God. Those, those are wonderful. Or people just like, just, you know, I'm just decided to stop by. I don't know. I just saw and decided. To, and that's all great and that's all wonderful. And here's what I want to say. I'm sorry I didn't invite you. I'm sorry I didn't find you and make you my friend. Is it great they just stumble in here? Absolutely. But wouldn't it be greater if everybody in Hazelwood had been invited? (laughs) If everybody in North County had been invited? Again, work with me here. I'm not trying to scold or anything, but I'm saying sometimes we have to change our mindset to understand to where We are called to go make disciples. God will give us specific direction and he will indeed order our steps when we've committed to this. God will open the doors. Whether God supernaturally directs us to a specific person or if we simply take advantage of opportunities that present themselves. I, I, you know, I'm not quite got this because I'm just focused and I'm an introvert and all this stuff. And so I just pay attention to my stuff and whatever you're supposed to do. If you're at a gas station, pay for your stuff and get out because people are busy. You know, we have sliding cars. We hurry, hurry, hurry. I was out in Winsville. I, I taught at this little retreat thing and then I went down the road and I, wanted, I stopped at the gas station, got some gas and went inside and wanted a soda. I went inside and this man was standing there. It was later at night and I was uh, paying for my stuff and all of a sudden he goes, Oh, man, my, oh, my stomach is hurting so bad. And immediately, as I have, so give I thee. Well, pray for the guy. Well, pray for the guy. You know what I did? Paid for the stuff and walked out and went home. That's what I did. I was in a hurry. Why? Because who knows why I was in a hurry? Maybe he didn't want me to pray for him. Or maybe God had ordered my steps and there was a man there that if I'd have said, hey, can I pray for you? And he's like, absolutely not. Okay, have a good day. And the earth still would have revolved and I'd have still got home. But what if I would have said, can I pray for you? Yeah. And we struck up a conversation and he's out by there by Winsville and Lake St. Louis, all the church, and I could have directed him to a church. Oh, who knows what could have happened with that? This is why this is hard for me to teach. I don't have this yet, ladies and gentlemen. And it has to get down inside of us because he said, go. He didn't say, go to a retreat and minister to all those children, all those children, no, they were uh, students, but all those students at this little retreat. He didn't say that. Honored to do it. I'm glad I could. 
He didn't even say come to the sanctuary on Sunday morning and teach to the saints. He didn't even say that. Understand what's a means to an end. Don't get nervous on me. We're, so we're closing church down. No, we're not doing that. But the point is, what do I do outside of here compared to what I do in here? We really can't say we fulfilled the Great Commission by simply having visitors show up. We have an obligation after they leave even to follow up, to connect, to see who they are, to see how we can minister to them. Thank God someone did that to us. You know, even us that were raised in the church, I know, and I, I say this all the time, but thank God someone did that for my parents. Well, they were, my dad was raised in the church. Well, thank God someone did that for Grandpa Bland because trust me, he wasn't raised in the church. We wouldn't probably wanted his type, but thank God somebody wanted him. Sister Hunt, you saw, oh, he's, your grandpa, he's just a diamond in the rough. She talked real fast. He's just a diamond in the rough. She saw something in here that nobody else could see and thank God for that. And she spent countless amounts of time on him and thank God for that. So to whom much is given, much is required. The, the end game again of being a disciple in the first century church was to become a disciple maker. That was the end game, not to get in the choir, not to be a board member. It was to make disciples. That's what they wanted to do, perpetuate this, to keep it going. We are called again to the Great Commission. So as a church, we have to decide if we are going to engage all we can with each individual that comes into this place to make disciples, or are we just going to assign that to another person or somebody else to take care of that, or we assign that to a department. That's the evangelism department, or that's the discipleship department that we designate that too. However, we're all called to minister and we're all called to go make disciples. If we just relegate the great commission to an individual or to a department or just to a program, it will never become the very culture and fabric of this church. It will never become one of our core values that we hold dear to us. It's got to be at the heart of every ministry. What are they doing upstairs right now? Well, hopefully they're keeping the kids safe and from, you know, from breaking out windows. That's wonderful. And they're giving you all parents a break. That's wonderful. But I hope, and I know they are, they're making disciples is what they're doing. They're teaching them this is what we do. This is what the Word of God says. And they're making disciples. That's why we do Sunday school. Everything we do should have the purpose of making disciples, making people, getting them drawing closer to Jesus, getting, to be, getting to, and them to be more like him. Again, vision will set the direction of the church, but the culture of the church will take us there. We can say all these things we want, but if we don't do them, we don't value them. So disciples must be made many times one at a time because they're, it's, it takes a long time, maybe a couple at a time. But you can't disciple 47 people. You wear yourself out. You can't. But uh, let's, let's talk here. We always laugh. You know, we always say, well, um, speak in faith here. If everybody brought one person, the church would double. You know, it's just like, ooh. That ain't faith. It's simple math, ladies and gentlemen. But here's the deal. All you need to do is disciple one. Because next year, at this time, 
we'll run a thousand. But we'll run more than that because they'll disciple and then they'll disciple. Rebellion, I thought you said we're not about growing church. We're not. We're about growing the kingdom. Again, I don't care where they go, but it goes to reason. They'll come here too. My point is, if everybody would get this way down inside of them, that every place I go, I'm trying to disciple somebody. I'm trying to bring them closer to Jesus. It is said we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. Jesus expected his disciples who, to make disciples he, because he modeled it, he taught it, he, he inspected it. The disciples making disciples was the DNA of the first century church. Not, not every believer will be willing to, make a, to be a disciple maker, but every believer is capable of it. Well, I don't know Greek and I don't know Hebrew. <laughs> I don't either. You don't have to know everything about everything, but can if all you have to do to make a disciple is be one step ahead of them. You have to be a little bit further along the road and they can come to where you are. You are pulling them toward, you're making a disciple. They're changing and coming closer to Jesus. So it's not like we have this big thing that we have to meet all these, meet all these standards and stuff. It's nothing like that. It's like, I want people to know Jesus, and so I want to bring them with me to meet Jesus. Again, we, we will turn sinners into friends and friends into disciples. A disciple maker, can we say it's like a tour guide? You lead a person to a new and undiscovered life. In the first century church, there was this rabbi-disciple dynamic that, that was very common. And the, the rabbi in, in invited a prospective disciple into a mentorship type of relationship. And there was commitment on both parts. But disciple-makers must be more mature, again, than the follower. But they, and they've got to be someone worth following. But they still, anybody can do this. Because the disciple makers understand they have to replace themselves. If we don't tell the next generation about baptism in Jesus' name, about the new birth experience, about the oneness of God, we don't tell them about this separation from the world. It is lost. It takes one generation before it's lost. I've watched these people, and forgive me, but I've watched people raised in church. They received the Holy Ghost as a little kid on the campground or wherever it was, and they were raised in church. Man, they loved the culture of the church. And then somehow when they grew up, they decided it wasn't for them. Okay. And they got away from church and they got away from God. Okay. Then I've watched them have children who have no clue about the apostolic message. My wife was raised with a young man. He was a fine young man. We went to college with him. He was a great young man. He and his wife were in the church. And then they no longer go to church. They go to some other church. Which, kudos for what they're doing. They had six kids, I think. And those kids have no clue what Pentecost even is about. 
And he was honest one time and he said, sometimes I sit there in that church we're going to, and I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. One generation. So what will his kids know? What will his grandkids know? Absolutely nothing. They won't even know any story that grandma and grandpa, it, it, it so quickly happens because we're not making disciples. First Peter 2, 9, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Out of darkness into light. Peter understood leaving one culture for another culture, leaving one land for another land. It's easier transition if someone helps you on the journey. If someone helps you from one kingdom to the next kingdom. Again, I, I've mentioned this so many times, and I was raised in church. This is all I've ever known. So, you know, when somebody stands up, ah, they start shouting. I just, okay, somebody's getting blessed. Other people are like, oh, they have no clue what just happened. And sometimes I don't either, but they don't have a clue what happened. It's not their culture. And that's okay. And even church cultures are different, and that's okay. My, my point being, though, we're called out of darkness into light. Everything in the kingdom is flipped. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. He that is, is Lord of all shall be servant of all. Everything is flipped in the kingdom. And you give and God will give back. It's so, it's all messed up. Somebody has to know that. Somebody has to be able to disciple and teach that. <clears throat> the reason we have said, come out from among them and be separate because yes, it's a, it's a worship to God, but there is a reason for it. There is a reason we have preached a distinction between male and female. And now, in this society, you're seeing how important that is. They're letting little five-year-olds choose. They can't vote, they can't even make their bed, half of them ain't even potty trained, but we'll let them choose if they decide to be something else. Ladies and gentlemen, that is why I'm thankful for the forever settled word of God that was passed down to me, that this is how we act. This is who God has made us. Because the darker the night, the brighter the light. And at some levels, it gets so crazy that they're just looking for something that's halfway makes sense. And this always makes sense is what the difference is. But thank God, someone passed it down to us. Jesus, when he was here, commanded to go make disciples and that is so important. Jesus' personal plan, if you look at the life of Jesus, was not to draw a crowd once a week but he would just reach some people a few at a time. 
Jesus was not aloof. He was not distant. He was not too busy. He was not impossible to get close to. He picked up children. He touched lepers. He waited for beggars to get to him. He stopped processionals while someone cried out, have mercy. He even allowed Judas close enough to him to kiss him on the cheek. After he had washed his feet. Building relationships will always be the most effective way to reach the lost. Because of that deep human need to belong and to be loved. That's why we say this is a place to belong, a place to become, and a place to go beyond. Jesus, again, he showed that. Turning those sinners into friends, calling them to himself. To secure these relationships requires being, again, intentional. It cannot be, I'm so busy with life in the grand scheme of things. And folks, you, I'm so preaching hard to myself, it's not even funny. But in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter what we own or what we've done or what we've accomplished in our life and how busy we are. And thank God there's, you all have jobs and you work hard and that's all scriptural and all that stuff, but when it comes in the grand scheme of eternity, only what you do for Christ will last. And he said, go make disciples. He never wasted time. He never wasted words. He never wasted energy. He lived with purpose. He did stuff on purpose. If he told someone to go, something amazing was getting ready to happen. The blind man, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The Tim lepers, go show yourself to the priest. The 70 disciples, go your way, and he filled them with power and authority. The adulterous woman, go and sin no more. So if he told us to go and make disciples, Ladies and gentlemen, we should expect no less than a miraculous journey along the way. He is going to go before us. He is going to help us. And he will show us what to do. And before we can make disciples, we've got to realize it's, this isn't about us again. It's about them. Maybe our motto should be, there you are. Instead of, ladies and gentlemen... Here I am. And I, I say this on the day that I have no clue what these people have planned in this church today, but I'm afraid this is going to be a here I am moment. But anyway, maybe our model should be, there you are. I think it's Brother DJ Hill. His, his is, I go first. What's that mean? When he walks in a room, he doesn't wait for someone to approach him. I go first. I approach them. I'll say the first word. So maybe in a store when we go there, here I am, I'm the customer. Bring me the manager immediately. You know, instead of all that, maybe we can go in the store and oh, there you are. God sent me in, me in here and there you are. Are the steps of a good man ordered by the Lord? He can order them in a grocery store. 
He can order them in a restaurant. He can order them in that place where you make cars and, or fix cars, whatever that thing's still called. A mechanic shop. There it is. It just came. If you still feel unqualified to be disciple makers, how qualified were the 12 disciples? Jesus had 42 months to pour into them. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have church buildings. They had persecution. Transportation wasn't easy. They didn't have social media. We have no excuse. <laughs> to whom much is given, much is required. Every disciple maker is going to be flawed. We're people, that's how it is. But again, one of the most compelling motivations to make disciples is to secure the, the future. And I, I don't want to run this down too much, but let me say a couple last things as we close out here. Dr. James Dobson said, you never know how well you instilled your values within your children until you observe your grandchildren. Wow. Because Skyler acts right in my house. He has to because I'm the dad, you know. But when he has his own house, how's he going to act? And then when he has kids, how are they going to act? That's how well I know if I've instilled much into him. How long will this carry on? Disciple makers must examine their hearts, their actions, their motives, their character, and ambitions to ensure that they have the capability of reproducing authentic apostolic practice in their disciples. Let me, let me push one more time. If you're not someone worth following, you probably ought not make disciples. This is why we have to be right. We have to be healthy. We have to know truth. We have to be apostolic to the core so that we can make disciples. The greatest attribute of a disciple maker is to be real, just to be authentic, just this is who I am. I'm not trying, this is no, everything in this world it seems like it's bait and switch and manipulation and smoke and mirrors and all kinds of stuff like that. That's why sometimes when they just see someone authentic, why are you helping me? Because you're a human and I love you. Well, yeah, but you know, you've met people like that. They don't trust you. There's got to be an angle here because everything in the world is an angle. Let it not be said of the sanctuary we have any angle. Because again, I have said, I don't even care if they come to this church. I just so desperately want them to meet Jesus. Because when he, they meet Jesus, their life will be or ever be changed. They will, it will turn their situations around. He's going to help them. And that is our job to disciple them, to get them close to Jesus, to be like him. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, and here we go, we'll end with this on a sad note, but it is Judges 2.10. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. In other words, they all died off. And there arose another generation after them. Who are we talking about here? The children of Israel after them, which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. They didn't even tell him about crossing the race. They didn't tell him about the walls of death. They didn't tell him about anything. And there arose a generation. They had no clue where they came from. They had no clue the great miracles that happened. They had no clue how their family history and how grandpa got saved. They had no clue everything. They had no clue so much they did not even know the Lord. 
So here's my admonition to this great church. Don't tell me it can't happen again. It absolutely can. That is why one of the core values of this church is we are going to be disciple makers. And we're going to teach them apostolic truth. And we're going to share with them the word of God. And we're going to do those things and bring people closer to Jesus. Because that's what he said, the Great Commission, go make disciples. Can we stand in this room together? And let's pray that God would help us. A daunting task, a big task, but he didn't say go win seven billion people. He said make a disciple. That's all he, you, everybody can do this. Make a disciple. That's all he said. Pray together. Lord, we thank you that someone told us about you and that you have brought us out of darkness into this marvelous light. And we're thankful for that. Pray, oh God, that you would help us let something resonate down inside of us that I know we get busy and life is hectic and there's all kinds of things that happen, but Lord, let us refocus on what's important here and that's your commands. And the last thing you said, Lord, was go make disciples. Help us to do that, oh God. Fill us with boldness, fill us with zeal, with, with, fill us with love and fill us with wisdom and knowledge. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to do our part, to do what you would have us to do and what you've called us to do. Bless each one now, I pray that you would help us. Let us have great church here in just a couple minutes. Keep us in your care, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.